0: As we begin this morning, I want to ask you a question. If you knew that you were on your deathbed and you just had a few hours left in your life, what would you communicate to those that you love? What would you want them to know? What would be your final words to them? Well, this question was presented to a biblical scholar And his response was simply these three words. Look at Jesus. He said if he knew he just had a few words left to those that he loved, to his children, he would say, look at Jesus. And then he went on to explain why he would say these words. Listen to what he said. Speaking of Jesus, the person who walks out of the pages of the Gospels To meet us is just central and irreplaceable. If you want to know who God is, look to Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but part of the drama that has him as the very center of your life not that an amazing picture? I love that. Look at Jesus. And when we talk about Christian faith, we're not talking about living apart from Jesus in our lives. We're not looking at um, living apart from God in our lives until one day we go to be with him. No. We're talking about now the moment we believe that Jesus stands at the very center of our lives. That he's not one we just meet in the Gospels, though we do. As God, by his Holy Spirit, Jesus speaks to us through, these, through the Gospels, through all of Scripture. But we encounter him in all the circumstances of life. We encounter him when we awaken in the morning. Every opportunity that we choose to open our heart and our mind to him, we get to fellowship with God not that amazing? We're in a series called the Apostles' Creed. We're calling it, I Believe. Because the statements all be, uh, begin with these words, I believe. It matters. This was, is the oldest of all the creeds of the Christian church. Many, many different denominations hold to the Apostles' Creed. It's a summary of what is central for us as Christians. It's a summary of the truth that defines us as those who are Christian. And so when you hear teaching that is contrary to what the Apostles' Creed teaches, we need to be suspect. We need to wonder, is this really Christian? And so we thought it important that we would look at the Apostles' Creed together for some weeks this summer. Now, here's what we're doing. We are looking at the biblical underpinnings, the biblical teachings that lead to the decisions that are made in these words in the Apostles' Creed. It's not the creed that informs the Bible. It's not the creed that tells us what the Bible teaches. It's a summary of what the Bible teaches. The Bible informs the creed, not the other way around. And so, what we're doing is we're looking at the underpinnings of this great teaching that we see in the Apostles' Creed. And we're going to do two things, hopefully, every week. We're going to look at the truth from the Bible that we see summarized in the Apostles' Creed. But there's something else very important that we're going to do every week. And that is we're going to answer the question so what? Does it matter? Why does it matter? What difference does it make in how I live my life? How does it teach me about the day-to-day decisions that I make in my life? Well, you're going to see this morning, as we continue looking at Jesus, what the creed teaches about Jesus, that this is incredibly important. Last week, Pastor Danny, or two weeks ago, Pastor Lon did a great job of teaching us what it means when we say I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Last week, Pastor Danny took us to the, through the, did a great job of taking us through the first part of the Apostles' Creed as it teaches about Jesus. I'm going to take us the rest of the way. Now, remember, there's so much that could be said about Jesus, so much, so much that we could say, so much that the Bible teaches But these people, over a generation, as this creed was written over a long period of time, they determined that these things are core, foundational to what we believe about Jesus. They matter. And so, here's what we're going to focus on this morning. The third day, speaking of Jesus, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven, where he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. So, this morning, we're gonna look at what that means and how it speaks to our lives today. So, buckle your seatbelts, because we're gonna move. You ready? Here we go. Here's the first thing that I want you to see, and that is yes, when I turn it on, it works. Part two. Here we go. The victory over Je- of Jesus. The victory of Jesus over death is your victory by faith in him. What great news. Just about exactly a year ago, Beth and I don't go away a lot. We happened to go away for one week to, um, where were we? Talk amongst yourselves. We were camping. No, not Sequoia. What's the other one? Yosemite. I'll take Yosemite for 500. Thank you. We were in Yosemite, and at about midnight, we got a call that my mom was dying. And um, I'm really close to my mom. And uh, so I called her. And she hadn't been conscious. She hadn't been um, able to speak for about an hour or so. And they put the phone up to her ear. I said, Mom, there's nothing to fear. You know Jesus. His arms are open to you. The victory of Jesus on the cross is your victory over sin. The victory of Jesus over death in the tomb is your victory. Mom, you're going to be with Jesus. His resurrection is your celebration. And I prayed for her. And as I was praying, tears began to come down her cheeks. And a few minutes later, she went to be with Jesus. Friends, many of you, have been where I was a year ago. But this I know. The victory of Jesus is our victory. And that is what brings hope in the midst of every circumstance of life. And we're going to see that. But I want you to see, first of all, what we read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're not familiar with the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a wonderful summary. It's an incredible summary of, of the resurrection and why the resurrection of Jesus matters. And so the Apostle Paul begins the chapter by talking about what if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? What if that didn't happen? And then he says this, And if Christ has not been raised, if he did not resurrect from the dead, as we sang about this morning, If he did not rise from the dead, my preaching is useless, and so is your faith. That's how central the resurrection of Jesus is. That's how much it matters. If Christ did not rise from the dead, your faith is futile. It means nothing. It's irrelevant. It's insignificant. It doesn't matter at all. That's how crucial this is. Now, why, why is it so important? Because Jesus said, kill this, this temple, destroy this temple, destroy this body, kill this body, and in three days it will rise again. The Old Testament talks about Jesus, the Messiah, would die and would rise again. So if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then he was either a lunatic. Or he was a liar. And we cannot put our faith in him. We cannot put our trust in him. We can't trust anything that he said. This is so significant that people since that day have tried to discredit Christianity by discrediting the claim of the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm glad for that. You know why? Because so much has been written since the first century about this. And it is the claim of the resurrection of Jesus has stood the test of time. It is probably the most closely looked at, studied fact of history, because Christianity rises or falls on that claim. The people who wrote the Apostles' Creed understood this. He goes on to say, your faith, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In other words, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then the claim that the death of Jesus covers our sin when we put our faith in him no longer has any power. It's insignificant. doesn't matter anymore because Jesus didn't rise from the dead. This is Paul understood it. The early church understood how significant this was. In fact, one of the reasons I believe that Jesus appeared as the resurrected Jesus, they had seen him die on a cross, and then he appears not just to his disciples, but to more than 500 people. In the early church, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter are preaching about the resurrected Jesus, and they can say, you don't believe it? Go ask somebody who saw him face to face. Go talk to someone who saw him die on a cross and then met the resurrected Jesus face to face. The apostle Peter said it this way, and um, I love this. It's such a significant, it's such a significant verse, and I wish I had written it down for you. (laughs) Oh, Lord, what have I done? I can tell you it's in chapter 2 of Acts. But he says, he talks about Jesus rising from the dead and what it means for us in our lives that Jesus has risen from the dead. His victory is our victory. It matters. It matters. I want you to see this. He goes on and he, see, he says this. I want you to, I want you to hear this. He would go on and we read this, that Jesus indeed has risen from the dead. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we see this amazing, amazing truth. And he says it this way. He says, but indeed Christ has risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus has indeed risen from the dead. Paul says there's no question about it. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What is a first fruit? Well, a fruit comes on your tree. It's the first fruit, and you pluck that fruit. And then it's a sign that all the other fruit are coming. In the same way, the resurrection of Jesus is the first fruit. We will be the continuing fruit. We are rising with Jesus. We will live forever with him. Now the question becomes, so what? What does that matter? Who cares? Let me tell you why you should care. If Jesus has risen from the dead, you can trust everything that he has said. It is an absolute game changer. If Jesus said he was gonna rise from the dead and then he died for three days, he was dead. And then rose from the grave, victorious. It means that everything that Jesus has promised, he will fulfill. If he fulfilled that promise, he will fulfill every promise that he has made. It means that you can base your life on the solid rock of his truth and his promises and his word. It means that there is no fear in death. We don't need to be afraid of death. We don't need to run from death. It means that we can live a life of risk. We can put, live our lives on the edge of faith in Christ. Because we know if death is no longer a sting, if death no longer has power over us, what in this world do we have to fear? We have no fear because there's nothing left to fear. So we can live with boldness. We can live with courage in this world in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Friends, this matters. The resurrection of Jesus is a game changer. And we need to understand that. We need to know that. I love what what, uh, John Ortberg, a pastor, uh, preached back in 2010 on Easter Sunday. Friends, I want you to hear this, 2010 is not unlike what we're beginning to experience in America today. If you remember 2010, some of you weren't even born then, but for those of us who remember 2010, it was a time when the economy was really struggling. People were afraid. They're afraid of the future. Today, add to the recession that we were experiencing in 2010, you add inflation. There is much more economically to fear today than even back then. But I want you to hear what John Ortberg said in 2010, because these words are equally true today. He says, a lot of people are feeling anxious. They have pressures that they did not have before. They regret decisions that they've made over this last year. They wonder where things will stand a year from now. Sound familiar? Nobody wants a season of hard times to come, but when they do, they have a way of making you ask, what am I really counting on? Am I building my life on a foundation that's solid enough that circumstances beyond my control cannot take it away? Friends, if my hope and my foundation is on my 401k or my savings account, I have very little security in this world and in this life. My faith, my trust, My confidence is not in those things. We sang about it already this morning. And he says this. People have gathered for the past 2,000 years to say, not to say these words. The stock market has risen. It has risen indeed. They have not gathered to say the dollar has risen. It has risen indeed. They have not gathered to say employment has risen. It has risen indeed. Or the gross domestic product has risen, or General Motors has risen, or the value of your 401k has risen. Here's the one hope that has held up human beings across every continent, every culture, for two millennia of difficult times and poverty, disease, pain, hardship, and death itself. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Friends, that's why it matters. That's why it matters. This is the foundation And we see it in the Apostles' Creed. I want you to see a second truth today. And that is, Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father. Where is Jesus today? He's at the right hand of God the Father. But he's present with us, as we'll see beginning next week, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. We don't talk much about the Holy Spirit, so we're going to spend some more time this summer talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus In Acts 1, what we see is that Jesus rose from the dead. For 40 days, he appeared to more than 500 people. He preached, he taught, he prepared them, he discipled them. Until suddenly, he said to them, when I go, you will receive the Holy Spirit, but stay here in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes, and then be my witnesses in the world. And at that moment, Jesus bodily descended into heaven. There he went. What does the creed say? He ascended to heaven. He did. We see that in Acts chapter 1. Jesus ascended to heaven, where he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Here's what we see in uh, Acts chapter 2. God has raised this Jesus. Peter's preaching. God has raised this Jesus to life. Now, remember, this is Peter who, when Jesus was, before Jesus was crucified, wouldn't even claim to know him because he was afraid of suffering and afraid of death. Now, there's the same Peter after the crucifixion, after the death, after the resurrection, who was boldly preaching Jesus in a big marketplace. Here's what he's saying. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted, he is exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear, basically talking about what they are seeing in them. Now, I want you to see that he sits at the right hand of God the Father. In that culture, to sit at the right hand is the place of honor. It's the seat of status. All authority has been given to him by the Father. All glory has been given to him by the Father. He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That's where Jesus is now. Now, I want you to hear what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. And I I want you to follow this as I read it because it is so extraordinary. It's one of my favorite passages. There's so much in it. But listen to what it says. Paul is praying for the Christians. This is a great prayer to pray for the people in your life. Listen to what he says. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened by God in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you And the riches, that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. Okay, he's praying that we would know the incomparable great power of God. Now. Now. In your life right now. And what does he say about that power? This is what God wants for you. What is he saying that, about that power? That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. God wants to empower you in the same, with the same strength that he used to raise Jesus from the dead and to send him and to bring him to his right hand. Do you feel powerless in your life? The problem that we have is that we think the good gifts are things that the world says are good gifts. The good gifts is knowing Christ. The good gifts is the power of God in our lives to accomplish His agenda, not our agenda. His purpose, not our purpose. This is what He wants for us. It's extraordinary. He goes on and He says this. Far above all rule and authority, speaking of Jesus... At the right hand of the Father, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, under the feet of Jesus, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, the fullness of Christ, who fills everything in every way. Christ wants to fill you in every way. With everything that you need. The problem isn't the lack of power of God. The problem is we are not fellowshipping with Him. We are not open to these things. We are not asking for these things. Now, as I look at this, what does this mean for me when I say He ascended to heaven? Two things that it means for me number one, it means that Jesus is King. Remember what we just read? We just said, he is head over everything. Jesus is king. He is an authority over my life. But friends, here's the reality. We often live as if we're the authority of our lives. I want to ask you this question. When you make a decision in your life, all of us have a filter, some kind of filter, And we filter a decision through these questions. It could be, what's going to be best for me? It could be, what's going to be best for my children? It could be, what's going to be best for people who have expectations for me? Or it could be, God, how are you calling me to live? Jesus, I'm under your authority. How are you calling me to live my life? That affects every decision we make in our lives. Jesus, what are you calling me to be? What are you calling me to do? What is the life you want me to live? How do you want me to love? How do you want me to make decisions? Identify your filter. You have one. Everybody does. When you make a decision, what are you thinking? How do you process process that decision? What are the questions you're asking? The question we should ask is, God, what are you saying to me? Jesus, I want you to be my ultimate authority. Friends, until we make that decision, life will be very confusing. Now, sometimes life's confusing even after you've made that decision. But in those moments, I know this. Jesus still rules and reigns my life. I may not understand some things in this world, but one day I will see clearly. The other thing that I want you to see in this is simply this. I want you to see that Jesus is to be worshipped. The Father has given him all honor and all glory. We are to give him honor and glory. Amen? We are to worship Him. We are to honor Him. Now, we do this together once every Sunday morning. But we are to worship Him throughout the week. We are to to honor Him in many different ways. Now, one way is our obedience. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will obey what I have commanded. If you love me, you will obey what I have commanded. I was um, reading, uh, some of you may remember, do you remember, does anybody here remember the Jesus bobblehead doll? It was plastic, four inches, nobody? Four inches tall, many, many years ago, and you put it on your dashboard. And here's what they said. They said, you can stick them where you need forgiveness, and he will guide you through the valley of gridlock. Cheesy. (laughs) Cheesy. But Josh McDowell picked up on this and he wrote this. It's not important whether you have Jesus on your car's dashboard, but it's vital to know he's living in your heart. He isn't plastic, he's powerful, he's not small, he's infinite, he's not a good luck token, he's the risen Lord of time and eternity. Amen. Friends, this is what matters. Not that we give Jesus a little bit of our lives, but we give him all of it. Then we begin to see the things that he has promised in his word. Here's the last thing I want you to see this morning, and that's this. Jesus will return, and the day of judgment will come. Jesus is coming back. That's what we read in the Apostles' Creed. That's what we say. Jesus is coming back. He said he would come back the way that he came, that way that he left. So, most scholars believe that he will come and descend from heaven. And in that day, it will mark the end of the world as we know it, and it will mark the day of judgment. What is the day of judgment? The day of judgment is when all of us will be held accountable. We will stand before God, and all of our deeds, the things that we've done and not done, all of our thoughts. All of our motivations, all of it will be known. All the secrets that you hope nobody ever finds out, I want to tell you God already knows. There are no secrets in the kingdom of God. He already knows. And all of that will come to light. And so we read here in Matthew 25, Jesus, we read these words, Jesus, talking about himself, said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, remember, that's what we say in the Apostles' Creed, when he comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right. What is... is, to be on the right, it's the place of honor. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. It's judgment. What is judgment? Judgment is making a determination and deciding the eternal destiny of each and every person. We read on in, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we read, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead those who are still living when Jesus returns will be caught up in this as well as every person who has ever lived since the beginning of time he says in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead and in, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom he says to Timothy i give you this charge this really struck me. He said to Timothy, I want you to do these things because Jesus is coming back and because the day of judgment is coming. He says this, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. In other words, Timothy, do the things that God has called you to do. Because that day is coming. We don't know when it's coming, but it's coming. And we want to be ready. We need to be prepared. For the king is coming home again. And we will stand one day. And we, all of us, who believe, will be held accountable for the lives that we have lived. And he will separate us. To the right will be those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, knowing, yes, they have failed. Yes, they are sinners. Yes, they are broken. But they have put their salvation, hope, in what Jesus did for them on the cross. And the goats, people who have have rejected Jesus and rejected the gospel. Friends, this is what motivates me in life. This is what matters to me in life. I want to read this to you. We don't just have in the Reformed tradition, and we are a Reformed theology church. We we believe, we believe in the teachings of the Bible first and foremost, and then we allow the creeds and the confessions and the catechisms to speak to us and to teach us what the Word of God accurately teaches. But I want you to hear what it says in the Belgic Confession of Faith, okay, stay with me, number 37, and I want, article 37, I want you to hear this because it talks about this Day of Judgment And I think it does it in a powerful way, faithful to the scriptures. Listen to what it says The evil ones will be convicted by the witness of their own consciences. We will know that we have no standing. We will know. We will know. There's no defending, there's no justifying like we do in life. We will know by our conscience that we are guilty. But they shall be made immortal, even those who don't put their faith in Jesus. And a lot of people don't know this, but they too will receive a body that will never die. But only to be tormented for an eternity in the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. God is a God who honors the decisions people make in their lives. He will honor the decision that you make about him for an eternity this is why we do what we do. This is why we invest our energy and our time and our finances and and all that we have in the purposes of God. Because people are going to be separated one day by the decision they make about Jesus. And then he says this about us who believe. In contrast, the faithful and the elect— will be crowned with glory and honor just as Jesus was. We too will be crowned with glory and honor. He is still the head. He is still God. But we will too will be crowned with glory and honor. The son of God will profess their names, our names. Jesus will profess my name before God his father and the holy and elect angels. What does that mean? Ah, uh, he is my child. He is my forever child. He is covered by the blood of Jesus, my blood. He is forgiven for an eternity. For he has believed in the name of the one and only Messiah. He says, the Son of God will profess their names before God his Father and the holy and elect angels. All tears will be wiped from their eyes. No more crying, no more weeping, no more pain. And their cause, our cause, at present condemned as heretical and evil by many judges and civil officers because we're broken people. But we will be acknowledged as the cause of the Son of God because we have given ourselves to him and to his purposes. As a gracious reward, the Lord will make them possess a glory such as the human heart could never imagine. So we look forward to that great day with longing in order to enjoy fully the promise of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Are you ready for the return of Jesus? Are you ready for that day? There's more to be done. There's more to be done, church, as we reflect the plan and the purpose and the design of Jesus, who is head of our church. Last week, I meet a friend. It's a guy named Scott Vanderplug and he is the pastor of a church in uh, Port St. Lucie Florida. Scott and I had a great conversation because and we're going to continue this conversation because our two churches have almost virtually the same vision and mission. There's so much I can learn from him and we had a great conversation Scott is well-respected in the denomination. Lots of people know him. In the last year, they've had more than 50 first-time adult baptisms in their church, people coming to faith in Jesus. And as we talked, we both share a passion for the day of Jesus and the day of judgment is coming one day. It could be a month. It could be 100 years. It could be 1,000 years. It could be 10,000 years. I don't know. He's coming back, and I want to live the one life I have for the cause of Jesus, that's it, that's it, and my job is to rally all of us to the cause of Jesus, and we were at this conference that we were at, we were doing a lot of standing for biblical truth, which is incredibly important. We were there for seven days. We worked from about eight in the morning till at least nine at night. And he asked if he could have just a few minutes to talk about the importance of telling people about, in our communities, about Jesus, calling people in our communities to faith in Christ. And he was told that the agenda was too busy. Now, friends, I stand for truth, I believe in truth. But our denomination, by and large, is not working toward the Great Commission, as we should. And Scott and I are talking and gathering like-minded churches. What can we do together to change the world for Jesus? Friends, we will not lose our evangelistic fervor because we know that Jesus is coming back and we want people to be ready. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the beauty of your word. Oh, Jesus, you are so wonderful. You are so amazing. You are so incredible. You are so worthy of our love, of our passion. You are so worthy of our obedience. You are worthy to be king of our church, king of our lives, king over every aspect of reality. So Jesus, in a new and fresh way, we say today, Jesus, you are Lord. You are to be honored. You are to be exalted. Speak to your people, Lord. For we ask this in your name. Amen.